Welcome everyone. We'll sit in just a moment, but I'll just cover a little bit of the nuts and bolts. How many people are in the Buddhist studies class for the first time or haven't been in it for a couple years? We have a handful of new people. Welcome. So you folks especially will want to get your emails into our Buddhist studies uh, Google group. Um, and Jenny has the computer. She's not in the room right now, but she's been program hosting tonight. So you can see her right at the end. Um, anybody who's been in the Buddhist studies class recently will be in the system. And it's not that important because you can get all the emails and all the reading materials at our Buddhist studies website, which Scott and I are going to set up tomorrow afternoon. But I already emailed um, one chapter for people who would like to do some study. So if you're on the email list, you'll get that. And if you're not, I'll resend that tomorrow so people who didn't get in the system can get that. It's just the chapter in Bhikkhu Bodhi's book, The Noble Eightfold Path. Some of you actually have a physical copy of that book. And you can just read, I think it's chapter three on right view. We'll be reading in the next couple of weeks. It's a good background um, book. So many of you already know this, but I'll just review the Buddhist Studies program. It's actually a six-year curriculum, and we're looking over these six years at the different teaching models the Buddha used. And the way to think about these models isn't so much that they're each one piece of the puzzle, puzzle rather, but they're overlapping models. So each one, in a way, illuminates the others. And you don't actually need all of these different systems or ways of looking at the mind, but it's really helpful in the same way that if we wanted to get uh, a sense of what something organic like the Common Ground community is all about, we'd want to sort of look at it this way and look at it another way and come to this program and come this other time of day and sometimes get actively involved and sometimes hang back and just observe. And with all those different perspectives over time, we might have a pretty good sense of what's going on here. And it's the same with this path that the Buddha laid out. And in particular tonight, in the next few weeks, we'll be talking about path as we look at this part of the path that's about wisdom or about right view. So we've been uh, covering this over the last year, 2014. We covered different aspects of the Eightfold Path. And so for the winter, we'll be looking at wisdom and intention, one of the thirds of the Eightfold Path. And one of the components of our Buddhist Studies program, first of all, let me just say, people come in and out of the six-year curriculum, so don't feel like you're tied in. <laughs> and there are a few people in this room that have gone through it a couple times. So I think this is, forget now if we finished our third, I think we're getting close to finishing our third cycle. The first cycle was just five years, and then the, then the second one was six years, and this will be six years too. So uh, some people have been at it for over 10 years, and some people are relatively new. And it's okay, because like I said, the different maps that we're studying overlap. And it's one of the great things about these teachings. 
And uh, this program is specifically for people who have felt in their life a natural uh, draw to the teachings of the Buddha and have a commitment. So we create an arbitrary set of, you know, like prerequisite that people have done a few mindfulness retreats of any length and have a commitment to daily practice. So if you have any questions about whether you fit that criteria, feel free to check in with me at the end. It's not designed for people who are just checking out the practice, but rather for people who have checked out the practice and feel like, this is an important part of my life. I want this to be an important part of my life. I want to, I care enough about it that I actually want to engage the teachings, not just read about the teachings or hear about the teachings, but set them in motion, act them out as a practice in my life. And then another piece of the commitment to being in the Buddhist studies class is every other week we meet in small groups. And this small group interaction is not optional. So if for whatever reason that doesn't make sense for you, then this isn't the program for you. And it's always, you know, it's meant to be a little challenging to have to sit down in a small group and the intimacy of a small group and talk about what it is to have a mind and heart and what it, what you see when you start to look at it using some of these lenses that we're learning about. So we're applying some of the teachings to how we look at experience and in particular the experience of having a mind, a thinking mind, having views and sharing with each other, it's surprisingly powerful if the container is safe, it's surprisingly powerful just to hear what you say yourself, let alone what other people say or how you interact. It's very useful. So I encourage you to uh, respect this part of the program. Uh, yeah. So, and I'll talk more about that next week when we have small groups. So we use the, usually the last half an hour of every other week to break into groups of three for these small group interactions. Part of the commitment to the uh, Buddhist studies is not that you're going to be here every week because people have family obligations and work obligations and people get sick, but that when you can come, that you come. So it's not optional in the sense that, you know, I don't feel like going. If you sign up and you want to be here, then you're committing to coming when you can come. And you're committed, we're all committed to training and not feeling guilty when we can't come and we don't come. That's okay. Even if you're, you know, people ask, well, I'm going to be, you know, I have business trips on these two weeks and then this family thing I can't get out of in this other week. It's really okay if you're not here for one or more of the Monday nights, as long as you're committed to being here when you can be here, even if you don't want to come, retired or whatever. But it's a commitment to the group. And this is especially important as we've gotten to be a bigger group, that there's a sense of commitment. And then part of that commitment, not just the showing up, but everybody, this will look different, but everybody in some way is engaging the study aspect of the course. And it might be that you look at your notes several times during the week that you take during the program on Monday night or at the end of the program, or you might look at some of the reading materials, or you might find your own study materials 
from books, online talks that are on topic, on the subject that we're studying together. Because uh, the element that we're adding, it isn't even so much the practice, practice, it's the new information that drives what we call practice, like a different way of relating to experience. So the information is essential because it drives the different way of being, the different way of observing experience or understanding experience, which then leads to insight, which clarifies what the new perspective is, which supports the reflection or the contemplation or the mindfulness and deeper and deeper insight like that. So that we're committing to formal meditation practice as much as makes sense in your lives with the ideal of practicing every day and that you're engaging the study materials in some way. And some people might mean spending many hours each week reading all the materials that I put up on our webpage. And other people, it will be much less than that. But in some fashion, engaging the materials. Any nuts and bolts questions? And uh, remember also every other week, the weeks that we don't have small groups, Dharma Corps will be meeting in the community room. So just to respect um, the quiet in the building um, so that uh, if they're doing something that's relatively meditative, that people in the lobby aren't disturbing them. They end at 9 o'clock and they begin at 7.30. And you probably got this, but in case you didn't, so there's an optional sit beginning at 7. It's okay to come in a few minutes late, but if you're here 7.05 or later, then just sit in the lobby or sit in the community room. And then we end that optional sit at 7.25, and then people can come in and get settled at that point. So one thing we do at the beginning is we chant the Buddhist, the Buddha's refuges. This is a traditional recitation, evidently dating back to the time of the Buddha. Some of you picked up a sheet. Um, Jenny has some copies. You can raise your hand, or if you're close to the front of the room, you can come up here and get one. Most of you already know it. And we sing it more slowly than the, the traditional way. And it gives us a chance to sing together. And it uh, really brings us together as a community just this simple activity. And we chant this in Pali, just to tie, connect to the tradition. But the basic idea, and you can reflect on what these refuges might more personally mean for you, but the basic idea of taking refuge in the Buddha is we're taking refuge in this awakenness, as Ajahn Sumedho calls it. So the mind or the heart or the awareness, undisturbed, not contaminated by greediness, by fear and aversion, or by distractedness. So this is what we mean by Buddha. Buddha is a title, you know, meaning somebody who's awake. So we're bowing down, we're valuing the potential or the capacity of this mind or heart to be awake, to be clearly aware in a way that's not 
colored or not affected, disturbed by the deep, our deep and pervasive habits of being fearful or being greedy, being needy, wanting things to be other than they are, being distracted. And then we take refuge in Dhamma because this awakenedness only makes sense in the context of being real, grounded in the reality we actually inhabit. So Dhamma is pointing to the way it is. Awakenness, that free, clear, open presence with not the moment we'd like to be open to, but the moment that's here and now. So we take refuge in Dhamma. That's the second refuge. And then third is we take refuge in Sangha. You might have heard this word used to refer to spiritual community, like we talk about the common ground Sangha or the Buddhist study Sangha. Because some of you have been part of this the core of the people here tonight have been doing meeting on Monday nights for many years. So those of you who are relatively new, you're joining into a, a long-time community. And so we often think about that as Sangha, but in a more specific way, what makes this group of people Sangha is that in moments, any one of us are activating or manifesting awakened qualities, like being really kind or really patient, but in a more natural, effortless way, like I'm not trying to be kind. It's just in this particular moment, in a particular moment, a natural expression of the personality not being hindered by greed, anger, and delusion. And then there is kindness, or there is patience, or there is a skillful response, or a skillful keeping my mouth shut, or whatever skill might look like in that moment. So we take refuge in the skill, the wholesomeness we see sometimes in our own manifestation of our personality, or we see around us in other people. And we appreciate, we deeply value that we see these enlightened or beautiful qualities being expressed in our friends who are wise, whether they formally or practice or informally practice, but one way or another, human beings manifest wise, compassionate, skillful qualities. And we take refuge in that because they show us the way. It's like when we see somebody who's naturally expressing kindness, it's such a powerful reminder. Oh, I can do that. Or you see somebody who's naturally being patient or naturally seeing with clarity at a confusing time. It's so, I think because we sympathetically vibrate with each other, in the same way we can get confused by somebody else's confusion, we can really be stabilized by somebody's clarity or somebody's grounding in their goodness. So we, that's another refuge. So those are the three refuges. And it's not, there's nothing actually Buddhist about these three refuges. So if it feels that way, you just haven't personalized, like what is that experience of awakenedness in you that you actually already value? What is the experience of being connected, being grounded in the reality in the moment? Not disconnected, but connected, centered, grounded, accepting, that you deeply value. What is your experience of seeing beautiful qualities being expressed, you yourself expressing them, other people 
expressing that you already deeply appreciate and value. So that's what we're honoring, remembering when we chant together. So the way it is, because it's in a foreign language, you won't necessarily get this, but we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha one time, and then it says Dutiampi, that means for the second time, and then Tatiampi, the third stanza, for the third time. So we're taking refuge in these three things three times, and that's just the traditional way of doing it. So let's do that now, and then we'll sit for a little bit together. Feel free to stretch your body, make sure you're comfortable. We'll be sitting for about 25 minutes. Saranang Saranang 